The best of all, God is with us. The best of all, God is with us. The one who founded the Methodist movement, which became this church that we are a part of, his final words on this earth were the best of all, God is with us. Welcome to the Athens First United Methodist Church Sermons Podcast. I'm Kayla Thomason, a member of the communications team. We hope you enjoy this weekly resource. Our scripture lesson is taken from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, beginning with verse 23 and continuing through verse 29. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the good news. There are things that you offer us, things that you promise us that are elusive, but they are attainable. May they reside in us and grow in us each and every day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. That is a gift that Jesus promises as He comes to the end of His life on this earth, that one of the things that I want to give you is peace. And yet, I think we would all agree that we live in a world where there seems to be a lot more worry and a lot more anxiety than there is peace. And it makes me wonder about myself and about the Christian community and the world beyond the Christian community as to why is there not a decidedly higher level of this peace that Jesus has promised us? Why are the levels of stress and worry and anxiety so high and the levels of peace uh, not nearly so voluminous? I wonder why that is. He's very clear that we cannot create it, that we do not manufacture it, that He gives it to us. But then in my own life, and I suspect perhaps in yours, We do not experience it 
to the level that we might hope to. We might find ourselves worrying about things uh, to the point of exhaustion sometimes. And we may raise the question within our own hearts and minds, if He promised it, if He said, I'm capable of giving this to you, then why are we not experiencing it uh, to a greater degree? When I was growing up, we would leave on a Sunday from time to time after church, and we would go visit my grandparents. Uh, they lived in McRae in Dublin, and they lived in Atlanta. So anyway, we would take these day trips. We would return by uh, Sunday evening. And every time we would pile into the car and we would pull out of the driveway, my mother would look over at my father and she would say to him, I think I, I, think I left the light on in the bedroom. I'm not sure if I turned the stove off or the oven off. I, I think I might have left those on and, and we can't have a fire. Is the water still running? Mike used the restroom and flushed the toilet. Did the toilet stop? Did anybody notice that the toilet was not stuck and still running? And invariably, no one would have an answer to it. And so my dad would gladly just, he would rejoice that we could turn around and go back to the house and go inside and my mom could check all those things and make sure that they were turned off. And I remember thinking as a kid, when I become an adult, and I'll be so much more competent than these people who are raising me. When I become an adult, we won't have to do that. And yet every time we go on a trip, uh, we can't hardly get out of the driveway before it will be hated. We turn off the stove this morning. Do we turn off the oven? We actually left a candle burning one time in the parsonage at Waleska, and the parsonage caught on fire. So now we are completely paranoid about leaving the house. We quit taking trips because it's too stressful to leave the house, right? I don't know if that's a problem for you, but that was always a problem for us. Several years ago, uh, I read a story that a woman wrote about her family, and he, she said the same thing. Whenever we would prepare to go on a trip and get in the car, we would get out of the driveway and a couple of miles down the road, and my mom would say always the same thing. I think I left the iron on. Now, they make irons now, as I understand it. I've never held one. But as I understand it, they make irons now that cut off automatically. But you don't trust that, do you? Not when you think you might have left it on. Is it really going to cut off without my help? His, her mother would say, I know I left the iron on. And her father was very patient with that. And he would turn the car around. He would drive back to the house. He would walk into the house and he would check the iron. And sure enough, 100% of the time, it was not on. She had turned it off. So the, the young woman writing the story said she remembered the time when again, the same thing. We exited the driveway, headed down the road a mile, and my mom looked over at my dad and she said, I think I left the iron on. And instead of doing a U-turn, he just pulled off the road, he popped the trunk, he walked back, he got the iron out of the trunk. 
and he walked back to his wife and said, I promise you the iron is not on. It's right here with us. Clever, wasn't it? Because we tend to do that. We tend to worry about things. And I think when we're in a place where we're worrying a good bit, when we have a high level of stress, when we have some anxiety that it's kind of working its way into our minds and into our hearts, we wonder how we can get rid of it. And if we're Christians and we understand the Scripture, we know that Jesus said, I promise you a peace that passes understanding. And so sometimes in my life I sit there in a place of stress and anxiety and I think, where is that peace that He promised us? He said, I couldn't manufacture it, but he did say if I was open to it, he could offer me that. So why is it that I don't live with a greater level of peace than I do? I thought about that this week, obviously, in preparation for today. And I kind of, for me, well, I didn't capture it. That wouldn't be the good word for it. But I feel like I gained, I gained a little bit of insight into the experience of worry and stress and the peace that Christ offers. And what's the problem there? Why do those not connect in a way and become better? And, and I, think it, I think it revolves around three words. And the first one is tomorrow. Tomorrow is a dangerous word. It is a dangerous word. Betsy welcomed you this morning and, and, and she prayed, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Did you notice the Scripture did not say, Well, yesterday was the day. And it doesn't say, Tomorrow will become the day. The Scripture says, this is the day. Jesus did not promise peace for yesterday or tomorrow as much as Jesus promised peace in this moment as we're gathered in this place to worship. What is the level of peace in our lives? Because tomorrow can invade this moment. If you have a busy Monday ahead of you, you may be focused on that right now. You may have something you're dreading to do this afternoon or tomorrow that's bugging you and invading your, your sense of peace in this sanctuary as we worship God this morning. It happens to all of us. We, we worry about things. And when we worry about things, I wonder, why don't we, why don't we exhibit a greater sense of peace and I think one of the problems is tomorrow. That's a dangerous word. What is abundant life? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. What is that? How do you understand that? Here's how I understand it. It is the capacity to entrust the future to God and to live fully in the moment that I am in. I think that's abundant life. That I can trust tomorrow and I can live fully in the moment today. And that is a difficult thing to do. That is a real challenge for each and every one of us. But you can only be in this moment. You cannot be in another one. I was listening to somebody yesterday and he was denying that he had any interest in a job. It was a coach and they said, your name has come up for some job. 
And his only response was, I am where my feet are. That's the only place I am. Now that may be a denial of a denial, but nonetheless, I liked what he said. I am where my feet are and so are you. This is where your feet are in this moment. Are you, are you fully present to it or is yesterday or tomorrow beginning to invade that? That's what makes tomorrow dangerous because it prevents us from living fully in this moment. Do you remember the story of the philosophical clock that meditated on its job? And the clock realized, I have to tick one time every second. That's 60 times every minute. That's 3,600 times every hour. That's something like 80,000 plus times every day 30 million plus times every year. And it became so exhausted that it fainted. The clock just tipped over and fainted because it was just too much to consider. The number of ticks required for a day and a month and a year and another year and another year. It was just too much to consider. Eventually the clock woke up. And when the clock woke up, it had this incredible epiphany. And the epiphany was this. I have to tick one time at a time. One tick. And life becomes different when we stop worrying about what's going to happen next week or tomorrow or next year. And we begin to live fully in the moment that God has given us, which is now. Tomorrow is a dangerous word. And I think tomorrow robs us sometimes of this gift that Jesus is talking about. The second word, I think, is regret. We all have regrets. Things we've said, things we've done, and we regret those things. And they can invade our lives in such a way that they can be very, very difficult for us. God has promised forgiveness. And whatever it is we've done, whatever it is we've said, whatever it is we regret, that that has been redeemed. That has been forgiven but sometimes regret continues to rob us of the moment. And we, we live in that place where we feel terrible about something we've done. We feel terrible about the fact that we were a part of that. We feel terrible that we said that. And so we continue to be robbed of the gift of the moment, the peace that is promised that God has already dealt with because of regret. So we live in this city called regret and we wander these streets of regret. And when we do, we're not focused in one way or another on right now. We are not where our feet are. We are in some other place. When I was a kid, 
I heard a lot about New York City. And if you're from Warrington, New York City sounds like a, an unbelievably huge place. And I thought about the time I would go to New York City. I would one day visit there, I hoped, and, and what I would experience. And I had a bit of a checklist of things I wanted to see. And as you, might, as you might think, the first thing that I wanted to see was Yankee Stadium. Not the new one. I wanted to see the old one. Because I wanted to sit in a seat in Yankee Stadium, and I really wanted to look out there and say, that is where Lou Gehrig played first base. Wow. I know that doesn't fascinate you, but it does me. And I thought, that's where Babe Ruth stood in right field and Joe DiMaggio roamed center and Mickey Mantle after him and Yogi Berra crouched behind that home plate. And that's where Roger Maris's 61st home run landed in the seats. I wanted to see Yankee Stadium and I had that opportunity as an adult before they built the the new Taj Mahal that has no personality and no character whatsoever. The other thing I wanted to see, which dates me, was I wanted to see the Empire State Building because when I was a kid, that was a big deal. That was this huge building in New York, and I thought, well, I, wanna, I want to see that. And the third thing I wanted to see, what do you think it was? Yeah, I wanted to see the Statue of Liberty. Lady Liberty dedicated in 1886. Francis Bartoldi, the sculptor. Do you know that you can fly a helicopter over Lady Liberty now? You've been able to do that for years, right? Have any of you flown in that helicopter above Lady Liberty? Anybody? Nobody? Really? Wow, you're an interesting group of people. Well, you can, so the next time you go to New York City, take that helicopter ride. Here's, here's what you'll see that's pretty impressive. Bartholdi created that thing in 1886. Huge. The first flight was not taken until, what, 1903? December, right? Orville Wright. Bartoli had no idea there'd ever be a helicopter or that there would ever be a plane. That anyone would ever have the capacity to look at the top of Lady Liberty's head. So why bother? Nobody's ever going to see it. But if you fly over Lady Liberty and, and you look at it through binoculars or you just get a picture of it, you can tell that Bartoli took up time with the top of Lady Liberty's head. That he attended to the detail of it all. And why did he do that? Because there's a man who did not want to live with regrets, right? I don't want to have regrets about that. So I'm going to offer what I have to the best of my ability. And I'm going to move forward in my life. Regret robs us. Regret robs us of this gift that Jesus is describing to us. We live in that place where we just cannot enter into that forgiveness and that, that redemption. What is better than to hear the words from someone you've harmed, I forgive you? What is better than to hear those words from the God that you've gathered in this place to worship this day? 
I know you. I know you, God declares, and I forgive you. Tomorrow's a dangerous word. And regret robs us of the gift that Christ is offering. But there's a third word, I think. We're going to end on a positive note. We're going to gather in this place in November and December, and at some point during that period, someone will stand up here and read these words, And a virgin shall conceive a child, and she shall give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is unchangeable. That is something from which we can never be separated. That is from everlasting to everlasting to everlasting. That is the gift of God to us, and that gift enables us to live into this gift that is peace, that God is with us. Years ago, they would write down the last words of influential people, people who had left their mark in a significant way upon society. And Betsy Ritchie sat by the bedside of John Wesley, and she wrote these words as he died. He said something twice, and then he died. He took his last breath, and these were his words, the best of all, God is with us. The best of all, God is with us. The one who founded the Methodist movement, which became this church that we are a part of, his final words on this earth were the best of all, God is with us. James Hewitt tells a story of growing up in a small town and. Pennsylvania, and from time to time he and his family would get into the car and his dad would drive them out to the grandparents' home, which was about nine miles out in the country. And they would visit with their grandparents. He said it was a Sunday night and the fog had just come in and it had covered the countryside to such an extent that as they drove down that old dirt road, you could not see anything. The fog just completely blinded you. And he became worried as he sat in the back seat because they were driving in the blind. And his mother became aware that he was experiencing this worry and this anxiety. And she turned in the car and she looked at him. Your dad has been down this road a thousand times. He's walked it, he's ridden on it with a bike, and he's driven this drive so often. You don't have to be afraid because your father knows the way. And he said, as I have lived my life on this earth, my mother's words have often echoed in my mind and in my heart that my God in heaven knows the way. And there has to be some value in that. That has to make a difference in some form or fashion to us. That we entrust the next step to God. And we try to live fully in this step, in this tick-tock of life. Peace I leave with you. My peace... I give to you. Do any of you fish? Anybody out there fish? Nobody? Two? Anybody any good at it? 
I, there you go. I like, a, I like a proud man. I don't fish much. I don't fish at all. I, I, yeah, to be completely honest in church, I don't know when the last time I held a fishing pole or... My dad was a terrible fisherman. And I blame him. It's in the DNA. You either can or you can't. My grandfather was pretty good. I always caught fish when I went with him. My dad and I always came home empty-handed. Mother didn't even think about us bringing anything home. She already had dinner ready before we got home. She knew they ain't bringing nothing home today. You know what the charm of fishing is? I don't do it, but it's charming. And the charm of fishing is that it is the pursuit of something elusive that remains attainable. A series of occasions of hope. I read that years ago. It stuck with me. I think that is the charm of fishing, that we're pursuing something that is elusive, but it is attainable. And, and it is a kind of series of occasions of hope. I like that. I kind of put peace in that category, that it can be elusive, but it is attainable. We can experience it. We can have this gift that Jesus promised us. This has been a stressful 18 months. And if you're like me, you just want it to end. <laughs> I just want it to go away. Uh, but it's still here. And it's a bit of a bummer. But maybe the real test of this time for me, and perhaps for you, is can you have peace in the midst of such disruption? Can you have peace when it's so difficult to make ourselves available to it? Can you have peace in the midst of a troubling time well, <clears throat> I don't know what your answer is to that. But I think we get a good clue as to what the answer of Jesus is to that. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at Athens First UMC.